Hey everyone, welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene, until the end of time. That's right, Colin. And this episode is the return of the Jedi of the trilogy of fight scenes in 1931. We st- oh, hell yes. We started off with, with a good Street Fight, scene fight which is mm-hmm. A New Hope. Then we had Kitchen yep, Fight, which was Empire Strikes Back. And now we have Return of the Jedi. Zephyr you know, fight. very interesting that that does deal with like a weird new hand type situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Exactly. Kind of like robotic hand sort of situation. Plus, it's fun to anyway. imagine if that that venue that Luke and Darth Vader fought in Empire Strikes Back, when they turned on the lights, was just like the kitchen area. That'd be, that's really funny to think. <laughs> like, the mm-hmm. lights were up, so it was really spooky, but that they were just like on, you know, they had like safety Everyone's lights. Break, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They come back and they're like, oh my God, what happened? My bulkheads. Um, <laughs> someone threw the trash compactor across the room. God, uh, someone broke a window. That took forever to install. All right, yeah, exactly. So this is Agents of Shield, season seven, episode two. You're going to start at 24 minutes and nine seconds, and you're going to end more than two minutes later at 26 minutes 53 seconds because it's a fight scene, baby. And this and what and what a fight scene. And what? So yeah, May is going to leave to find Mackenzie and Shaw. Enoch apologizes as he says that he cannot allow her to leave the ship. A fight ensues after May points out that Enoch doesn't have the guts to pull the trigger. Enoch states that while he may not have an intestinal digest, digest an intestinal digestive system, he is very capable in applying pressure. She punches him, and then uh, he like jumps down after her. He does a weird sort of like a, um like a million dollar man. Six million dollar man mm-hmm. sort of like um, jumps down. <laughs> um, he removes his coat. We can rebuild. Exactly. Him. We uh, that's wow. Yeah. Huh. Parallels. Um, parallels. Enoch removes his coat after May has punched him in the face and tells her that he does not wish to harm her. He throws a few punches and kicks, one of which lands on May's arm. She grabs it in a bit of shock and Enoch proceeds to tell her. That since they are at war, he took the opportunity to upgrade himself with the hunter-level combat skills package. May states that in the end, a machine is still a machine, which has Enoch saying that there is no need to make it personal. The fight continues as May seems to evaluate each time she is hit and develops a counter. Eventually, she gains the upper hand and starts hammering on Enoch with a fire extinguisher in what can only be described as savage mode. Like, it was, you know that mode where you're like, oh my god, I need... This goes from I need to call a teacher to I need to call an ambulance. That's where we were on mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Colson and the team arrive and he tells May to stand down. She looks at Colson for a moment and remarks that he is not Sarge, who are not going to even give you any context, but he is not Sarge and he is not Phil Colson either. The Colson LMD asks May if she's not at least a bit surprised since he was dead. And May tells him that Colson is still dead as she walks away. So pretty rough line. The blows keep coming both verbal, emotional, and physical. Um, and so this scene, you know, again, it's sort of hard to research a fight scene. We already talked about the fight coordinator. So I started thinking about Maze kicking this Chronicom's ass, basically, you know, holding her own in a closed environment where there's no help on the way, no quake to come help her. Quake. Um and so what would it have been like if she had been 
out with the team this whole time. Now she was in a healing mm-hmm. pod and whatever, but clearly they would have been a lot better off if May had been there to help fight these chronic ops, right? Yeah. So I my first thought was that I was going to say, let's go through what's happened so far and and figure out how May would have helped. The answer to that is, of course, in fighting. That's the answer. So Yeah, for sure. Instead, I designed something which I was really proud of when I thought of it. We're going to play, Colin. We're going to play a little FMK. Okay. By which I mean Freddie, May, and Koenig. I'm going to give you a scenario. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you're going to tell me which of those three would be the most either skilled at or successful at each of these scenarios. Ready? Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I'm listening. Yep. Blending in in 1930s attire. I mean, Koenig. Okay. All right. He's from the time. You know right. I mean? right. Freddie is too, but but Koenig wears a suit better than, than oh, Freddie Oh, you wears. did say Freddie. In my yeah. head, I was thinking uh, Deke for some reason. Yeah. Sorry. I don't Freddie, know what happened there. Freddie, May, and Koenig. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say for I'm, so, I'm going to stick with Koenig because yeah, he think, also has like a little bit more cash so he could right. maybe get a couple extra outfits. Yeah. Maybe a little more. I know? mean, he wears a hat better, and I haven't even seen him wear a hat. So I think that's correct. <laughs> um, yes, Absolutely. Walking to the crime scene while discussing various theories of time travel. Feels like May wouldn't have no patience for it. Koenig and right. Freddie wouldn't know what the hell they were talking about. Who would do that most successfully? I think still Koenig. Okay. Okay. All right. Being stopped at the door of the crime scene. I think May, if she refuses to get into 1930s attire. Right. Um, but how would she do? But- I mean, I guess, I mean, like. The situation of you're being stopped by a cop at the door to the crime scene that you want to get into. Who is there a way that one of the three of them can navigate it more successful than veiled quake threats? Veiled daisy well, here, threats. Here's here's my thing. I yeah. think that if if she's not in 1930s attire, right? Yeah. They're definitely gonna stop her. Like right. because the also unfortunate side of it is that like as two white men, they're probably not gonna stop the other two. Right. Then again, Freddie, I think, definitely has like an air of being far less uh affluent sure as well so like they might stop him as well but i think though that if may dressed period period appropriate right she still does hold herself in a way that commands like attention and respect and i think that they probably would just let her through Mm. but i think that they would stop her if they're like wait a minute not only are you a woman but you also are dressed really weirdly (laughs) you need to stop right for sure sure. uh, but i i think unfortunately this the like I think she's the most likely to get stopped, but I also think she's the most likely to be able to get in there, like, quote unquote, no problem, if that makes any sense. I agree 100%. Uh, The -hmm. next one is, uh, because Freddie actually did have this, it is only a Mayor Koenig question. Being a bartender at the FDR gig. Now, before you answer, I want Mm. you to picture May playing a friendly bartender. Yeah, see, the thing, that's, that's what I'm thinking. I think it's got to be Koenig, because even though she can do the undercover thing, which we'll get yeah. about way later in the yeah. future, it's, like, unsettling to hear May, like, quote-unquote, like, letting loose. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird, so I think Koenig's got to be. May I mean, flirts you know, he are, owns a bar. So. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, protecting the president. This is kind of a game. May. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Making a 1930s baseball reference. Freddie. Okay. All right. Because I think that Koenig, like, 
has his ear to the ground, but I also, he kind of strikes me as the kind of person that doesn't really care about right. sports. Right. Yeah. But Freddie would definitely be like listening to the radio or something yeah, exactly. during a, uh, during a, uh, uh, not session. What am I looking for? Um, like a, a pay, like a day at work shift shit. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. I also picture him sneaking into like, you know, Dodger stadium or whatever. Um, like mm. to catch a game, like sneaking in. Um, doing that thing where like they stand up against the fence where they yeah. can't actually get in, but they're at the fence and they're exactly. just like, no yeah. one can see this, but I'm putting my, my hand up like over my eyes to yeah. block out the sun and try exactly. and see better. Yeah. Like see through the fence. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hiding from the chronocops, hiding from the chronocops. This is uh, a Freddie may only because Koenig obviously has other things to do. <laughs> uh, Freddie, because may wouldn't hide. But see, May does hide from Enoch. She's very good at hiding. There's, I think there's a difference between hiding and just not being there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right? Because yeah. like, kind of like we mentioned that in that one episode, yeah. she just sort of Michael Myers. Yeah, exactly. Just into the into the air, you know. Exactly. Okay. Shot glass chemistry. I feel like none of them are really scientific. I know exactly, exactly. Maybe Koenig, because he at least knows, I think, how to make booze and stuff like that. Okay. It seems like okay. So he might be. I mean, okay. May is extremely smart, but she may I've have never had some seen science her, training or whatever. Maybe right, but I mean, I've never seen her be like, you know what? Let me just make up a solvent real quick. Right. You know what I mean, it's like. What? Who are you? In uh, when Sousa says something to Agent Carter, and she's like, "Well, you know that she's." He's like, "We're the science, strategic scientific reserve." Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. I, I do know science somewhat. Yeah. Okay. Sitting quietly in a train car. This is a Koenig May only question, because obviously Freddie can do it quite well. May. Yeah. May can May can just. Because yeah, Koenig would just talk to you off. Yeah, Kanan would be like, oh, hey, you know, this reminds me of a time. And you'd be like, God, this everything reminds you of a time, huh? <laughs> this reminds me of a no, 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 no. We don't want to hear the story. Um, all right. It's not, probably sexist. Right. Not killing the future head of Hydra. Clearly, Freddy is not. This is Koenig or May. Koenig. Not. Okay. All right. Yeah. Because also, Koenig doesn't even know what that means. But I mean, sure. like. You know, yeah. sure. May May would be like, "Hey, ha, you're already dead." Head comes off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You just don't even know it. All right, lightning round. Ready? Mm -hmm. Who would do best at who's Freddy? May, I guess, because she's the only one who would have future knowledge. Koenig okay. wouldn't. Fair enough. Koenig wouldn't know it. Fair enough. On that note, huh, that's a double reference. I'm so proud of myself. Who would do best? Who would know the most songs from the music of 1931? Freddy. Again, I think radio, radio. man. Yep, radio. absolutely. I 100% agree. Radio is going to be his help in both like baseball free and... free entertainment for yeah, a poor absolutely. man. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Well, that has been FMK. And Colin, I would say that you you ruled that all day. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I was really proud of myself when I was like, May, M, are there F and... <gasps> and then I briefly wrote mm. down in my notes, MFK, because I couldn't think of... I was like, that doesn't seem right. And right, then I remembered what it was. <laughs> so that was my game, FMK. Um, and I think you did very well. You scored 99.6%. Uh, Great job. Great oh, job. cool. What did I miss the 0. 0.44? It's uh, technicality. So, oh, okay. Um, 
You just lost. lost You're one point. of those professors that like no one gives a right. perfect score exactly. to anybody. Yeah. Perfection does not exist. You've got a 99.6 and I don't round. Um, <laughs> In fact, if I do, it's down. It's down. <laughs> Colin, um, I have a segment that is in the place of where we would normally put a music of 1931. Oh, okay. Where we have been Hit putting me. TV of 1931 until now. This is a single, a one shot of top grossing movie of 1931. Okay. It is about the Charlie Chaplin movie City Lights. It was written, produced, directed by, and starling, starring Charlie Chaplin. It follows the misadventures of Charlie Chaplin's tramp character. Picture Charlie Chaplin, that guy, uh, as he falls in love with a blind girl, Virginia Cheryl, and develops a turbulent friendship with an alcoholic millionaire, Harry Myers. Although sound films were on the rise when Chaplin started developing the script in 1928, he decided to continue working with silent productions. Filming started in December of 1928 and ended in September of 1930. It marked the first time Chaplin composed the film score to one of his own of his productions, and it was written in six weeks with Arthur Johnson, the film score, I would imagine. The main theme used as a leitmotif for the blind flower girl is the song La Violotera, Who Will Buy My Violets, from a Spanish composer, Jose Padilla. Chaplin lost a lawsuit to Padilla for not crediting him. So it just goes to show, mm. even in 1931, that was a thing. If you're going to sample someone's work, you have to credit them. Nick Bermal does um no well not say um City <laughs> Lights was immediately if that's where you just left it and me were like only recommendation only social media I'm dropping goodbye that'll be so fast and so crazy City uh, Lights was immediately successful upon release on January 30th 1931 with positive reviews and worldwide rentals of more than four million dollars must be retails I'm imagining that was an autocorrect of retails um. Or rentals is a weird way to say ticket sales. Um, today, many critics consider it not only the highest accomplishment of Chaplin's career, but one of the greatest films of all time. Chaplin biographer Jeffrey Vance Vance believes City Lights believes quote City Lights is not only Charles Chaplin's masterpiece; it is an act of defiance, as it premiered four years into the era of sound films, which began with a premiere of The Jazz Singer in 1927. This is basically like I only released my album on vinyl. Screw you. Um, <laughs> In 1991, the Library of Congress selected City Lights for preservation in the United States huh. National Film Registry as being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. In 2007, the American Film Institute ranked it 11th on its list of the best American films ever made. And in 1949, the critic James Agee called the film's final scene, quote, the single, the greatest single piece of acting ever committed to celluloid. Wow, I'm pretty That's sure high praise. not to spoil City Lights for 1931, but I'm pretty sure the blind girl gets her sight back, and then they get right off into the sunset. Um, How does she get her sight back? I don't know. Maybe she gets hit in the face of the door. Um, so <laughs> a laser downloads <laughs> laser downloads sight back onto her sight mainframe. back into her. Yeah, that will make sense if you listen to the Lost Years scramble. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but so yeah, that is City Lights. The, Actually, it still won't make sense, it, but you'll at least know what that you'll means. You understand what, what we're talking about, right? Exactly. Um, so that is City Lights, the top-grossing movie of 1931, and that is shows hands all I have for this episode. So that was basically the No Way Home of 1931. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit. Wow, crazy. Here's my my old brain was like, it's basically the Forrest Gump of 1931. You know, that very old movie, that like 27-year-old movie? Yeah, that one. Wow. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Timeline Scavengers. If you want to hear more from us as a show in general, check out 
at Timeline Scav on Twitter and on Instagram to get more news and, you know, Dormammu, I've come to bargain mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, and then if you want to find the podcast network that we're a part of, you can go to at Scavengers Net. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Colin M. Parker. If you want to find James, you can find him at Unabashed James. But James, you mentioned him earlier. Where can people find Nick Bermald? Uh, Nick Bermald is our composer. You can find him at N-B-R-A-M-A-L-D or at nickbermaldcomposer.co.uk. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, James. Uh, and thank, thank you, you listener. For, oh, you're welcome. And thank you, listener, for checking out this episode. Hey, Colin, I have one more thing to yeah. add before we go. Oh. Uh, just mm-hmm. want to point out to the listener and to you how how absolutely savage it was when she had his leg pinned with the chair yes. and was just wailing on him with the fire extinguisher. I can't express yeah. enough how violent that was. <laughs> and kind of wild for like a television, like on TV series yeah. Yeah. to kind of get that. And granted, I guess it's because he, they're like, oh, he's a robot in right. quotes that they can show someone just getting literally domed like that. Yeah. Literally, his like skull opens up like yeah. his glowy, buzzy skull is mm-hmm. showing. So, please continue. I just was thinking about how horrifyingly violent that part is. <laughs> yep. Well, we definitely couldn't leave the episode without getting a little violent. <laughs> exactly. So, I will violently throw myself out of the episode by saying, as always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. I've gone ahead and taken the liberty to download the Excelsior Protocol. Welcome to FMK All Day. I'm Aaron, And I'm Elizabeth. And on this show, we play no holds barred f**k, Mary kill. <laughs> yes, it's true. Only we don't bleep out the bad words. No regrets. Each episode is under 15 minutes, and you can find us on the Scavengers Network and wherever you like to get your podcasts. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven. Community-focused. Treasured content.